Yeah, that's good bourbon. It's okay. It's, yeah, it's tasty. It's, it's our first effort. Yeah. We like beginner stuff. Jeff, did mm-hmm. you have an opener down here? We're already recording. Uh, by I the way. got one. Where's the? Uh... Yeah. Oh, it's right there. Oh, here. Oh, yeah. Sorry yeah, about that. I miss the good old Three Stooges. How about a beer? Mm-hmm. Oh, there it is. Yeah, I miss that too. The letters. You missed song. the letters? Yeah. The actual yeah. theme song instead of my son's I like xylophone theme Sorry, song. I like the letters. Yep. It's pretty hard, hard to do too. I jump back to it. I like the 40s stuff. So. I have no yeah. idea about any of this stuff. Yeah, me too. You <laughs> haven't listened to every single podcast program? You just listened to what? I keep 100 of them or so? You'll listen to this one for sure. We're still getting Maybe. new people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We are. We get a letter every two, three weeks. Someone mm-hmm. says, hey, you're, you're, just well, found you guys. And it's, it's kind of. You're 181 behind. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, it's hours, hours now. Hi, everybody. We've been recording for a minute here, so oh. uh, that, oh, okay. that's, it gives people kind of that inside view of what <laughs> goes on behind the scenes at the two half squads before they go actually live. So that's what happens. We pour drinks, we complain a little bit, or at least I do. I will complain more during the show. Talk about bottle openers. Yeah. And this is the one and only podcast. Dedicated 100% to the greatest game in the world. ASL. That's right. What's that stand for again? Uh, advanced uh, Language. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Something. Something like that. We're not, we're not yeah, really sign. quite sure. We're trying to figure that out. By episode 200, we should have that figured out, which I think episode 200 is going to kind of coincide with our 10-year anniversary. Congratulations. Well, I think we'll probably hit it right around. Make well, it so, number one. Yeah, I will. <laughs> what episode is this going to be about? 182, I think. Or 183. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm your regular host, Jeff, and of course... I'm Dave. There's Dave. Uh, Rich Spilkey. Bill Forg. And Will Forg. Look at that. We got a very full foxhole. I think we're at our stacking limit, probably. I don't Pretty think close. we could get anybody's. If anybody shows up, if Perry shows up again, we are not answering the door. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to have to sit in the car and wait till the show is over. So we're uh, happy to have you guys here. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, it's, it's always a pleasure. Nice, to, nice to have guests, especially guests bearing gifts. Yeah. Bill brought us a nice bottle of bourbon, from which is a much coveted, uh, very special bourbon from DeKalb, Illinois. The, yeah, lo- local distillery. Yeah. And I would point out that Bill historically has uh, brought us the Krupnikus, was that? Krupnikos. 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 Yeah, it's Lithuanian. A Lithuanian friend gave it that recipe to me. And that name made it into the title of a episode long ago now, yeah. wasn't it? How? Uh, it's been a few know. years, yeah. probably yeah. three or oh, four yeah, years. Yeah, I haven't made it in a long time. So. Well, I think well, we could, we could probably find so. a way to yeah. fit the word bourbon into the title of this episode. <laughs> Whiskey Acres Bourbon from DeKalb, Illinois, which is also the barbed wire capital of the world. I would like to brag on the title of the last episode. Yeah, okay. Well, what was um, the title? I can't remember now. <laughs> <laughs> I was giddy until turn three. Oh, yeah, that was very good. <laughs> That's a great one, yeah. isn't it? That's a cute name. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't listened to that one yet because you just posted yeah, it, but yeah. I saw the title. It's a good one. So why, why do we have guests here today? Rich, maybe you want to tell us why we what, have guests. Why do What's you have guests today? What's the special occasion? We've got the, it's special you, stuff. You must be going. very lonely, first off. Yeah. Dave <laughs> well, and I got tired of each other. Well, we're very excited to be uh, your guests here in the Foxhole. We uh, talked to you guys about this a number of months ago. Yeah. And a group of us got together to play a, uh, a partnership, you know, two players on each side. Uh, we played the big, uh, it's, it's called The Last Bid. It's Red Barricade Scenario Number 5 which is uh, not a new scenario, but it's certainly uh, one of the classic big ones. And we wanted to play it because we were contemplating playing a campaign game, but we thought this would be a good way to, you know, learn the rules of the terrain and the Red Barricade's rules themselves without having to also overwhelm ourselves with Mm. learning all the special campaign game rules at the same time. Because this game wasn't... Totally overwhelming as it is. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It was already borderline overwhelming. The same thing, isn't it? And we wanted to see if, uh, you know, and furthermore, you know, you have to purchase stuff with the campaign games. And so we thought that this would inform form us by, you know, understanding the tactics and how the units, you know, deal with one another in the various uh, terrain uh, situations. And that would, you know, help inform our decisions on the purchasing. So we thought this would be a good way. Plus, we weren't sure if we were going to get along with one another. 
Or we'd last that long, or we'd last long enough. Oh, yeah, that's another one. <laughs> so all of those reasons combined. Yeah. And um, it was Bob Brown and myself as the Russians, and Bill and Will, mm-hmm. father and son, uh, played the Germans on the attack in this yep. big scenario. And it all started, we were at the, uh, at the open, talking around, we had some free time, and said, oh, we should play a campaign game. So we worked it out. So we've been pretty much playing since then. Every uh, about every, yeah yeah. Rich is a slave driver, so yes, know, it's, yeah. Uh, every yeah keeps everybody on task. Yep, yep. Almost every Sunday afternoon, yeah. and I was able to make about half of them. Yeah, you <laughs> made a good percentage of them. Yep, you sure did. I'm surprised, Will. That you. So tell us how you got involved. How how did you get involved in this thing? Oh well, my father, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so, so well, you, uh, do you mean uh, involved in this? Yeah, thing this itself particular thing. ASL. ASL. Have you been playing ASL for a while? Um, probably off and on for. No, I think you started when you finished university. No, I was no, it was a bit before that. Bit before, just yeah, when you yeah. So, oh, yeah, so, I, I don't remember. So maybe about like I don't uh, remember three or four when years that was. old. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> three or four years. Yeah, it's been uh, about, yeah three opens. I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So in a, well, so it'd be about four years now because I didn't go to the open on the year that I started playing. Ah, yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, about four years now. No, oh, and playing pretty regularly. Uh, when I can, yeah. so unfortunately, just due to the nature of my work, uh, yeah. he has yeah. a willing player. So our, our dining room table usually has ASL on it. Ah, yes, so. which is a good use for a dining room table. It is. It's so it is. seldom. I mean, Thanksgiving only comes once a year. That's right. That's uh, right. Uh, you're forgetting Christmas. <laughs> yes. Well, we're Jewish here. Ah. <laughs> Buddhist Jew. We're Buddhist Jewish Shinto Taoists. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So well. Um, and so, who came up with the idea of the last bit? Rich. Rich. Well, I, I think I'm sure that was milling around. <laughs> well, we Rich actually had a um, in there. we had a uh, get together at my house, and we were looking at all the different mm-hmm. campaign games that yeah. we might consider, and we did consider quite a number of them. And I'm not sure how it came about. Well, I don't know whose we idea. We wanted it was. Red Barricades because it's a classic, and none of us had, I never played Red Barricades, and then also we liked the larger hexes as compared to Valor of the Guards. We figured that would you know. Yeah, my glasses don't focus as as well. So, uh. well, and also just uh, the size of the map itself, because you know if we're gonna have two people on each side, we don't want to be crowded around a little two foot by two foot square. Yeah, right. Yeah, so, good and, good considerations. Yeah, and, and like Rich said, we wanted to you know get our feet wet, jump into a big big uh, scenario. And did you uh, try to? Did you mention Tarawa to them, Rich? Did you want to? <laughs> well, we talked about it, but I, but I pretty much ruled that out because yeah. a I've already played it, and b that really truly is overwhelming. Yeah. Well, we, when we went to his uh, Rich's basement, he had all the maps laid out of all the big campaign games. Oh, so wow. we kind of <laughs> had a you know conclave. We get around one map. Ah, no, no, no. Tarawa wasn't there. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love Tarawa. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, you but, know, it's good, but it can be overwhelming. Tarawa's. Yeah. I mean, you really got a. I mean, yeah, that's you know, all the rules. that's dead serious. And you played it twice, really. I played the campaign game. Yeah, well, we sort of played the campaign game. Yeah. You might remember that one time. Yeah, <laughs> we played it, and our opponents gave up after after <laughs> the first roll. <laughs> we didn't even get to the prep fire phase. It was, yeah. like, it was like the opening bombardment, and yeah. they're like, "Oh, well, I didn't know wooden buildings could explode like that." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Remember that? Yeah, that was. I, I keep thinking I dreamed that because it just seems so bizarre. We did all that research and we yes. were planning our different waves and we were just we just had you know tons of handwritten notes. We're ready to go. Yeah, and we didn't. They just gave up. So what was the uh, ratio of prep time to play time there? Well, in that one, it was probably fifty to one. Yeah, at least <laughs> at least we were there for an hour. I would say I not not at their house, but probably playing the game for an hour. And then they and then we helped them put it all away. Yeah, because we nice, spent that more guys. time doing that. Yeah. Why, why wouldn't you have started over again? We suggested that. Yeah. I, I don't know. The whole thing was just kind of <clears throat> funny. I think they realized that it was a big commitment at that yeah, point. That could be too. <clears throat> so. Yeah. But anyway, you decided on the last bid, which is. Mm-hmm. Which one did you play, Dave? With. Well, I played this one. You the did. First bid. The. We did, uh, but we never did the campaign game. Okay. We just, like, mm-hmm. we treated these as a campaign game. Just yeah, because was, they were it is. Enough work. And when, Jeff, we did the Pegasus Bridge big one. Right, yes. Or, not Pegasus Bridge. Uh, bridge too Arnhem. far. Arnhem Bridge, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was a big one in that yeah. game. Yeah. Okay, so you decided on last bid, and uh, everybody, it was unanimous? 
Yeah, you'd, I think you'd yeah. already had the four, four, uh, the four of you picked out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bob Brown was and, on and my team. And we had the I modules said. too. That was another. Yeah. Prime. Right. We all had the rules. Have, I, I don't have Terra and yeah, and the other. So we decided. You know, we had didn't have Taro because I, we didn't have it, and some of the earlier ones we don't have either. So that was another prime reason that we need uh, chose chose this because we had red barricades. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and that made things easier on setup because, you know, me and my dad could have this set up on our dining room table and go through and plan out everything. And, you know, Rich had his own setup in the basement, so no map swapping or anything like that was needed. And who was the fourth? Bob Brown was my partner, but he couldn't make it tonight. Ah. So I'll just briefly go through the Russian order of battle, not every single unit or anything like that, but just roughly speaking to give the listeners a general idea. So the Russians get around 80 squads, give or take, and it's a mix, some elite, some first line. Uh, they get a number of crews, quite a number, you know, a whole bunch of leaders, including a 10 negative 2 and a 9 negative 2, which are kind of key. They get a number of uh, anti-tank guns. Now, as I say, and Rich, and you got to battle harden some of them because we gave you the balance because it was so lopsided with the German. That, that's German right. Wins. We, we had looked up on Roar to see the the uh, you know the record of this big scenario, and it did, did appear to be two to one in favor of the Germans. So we gave the uh, Russians the balance, which is battle hardening. Let's see, what does it say? Ten multi-man counters and two leaders, which helped the Russians uh, quite a bit. I think we took uh, ten of our four four sevens and made them four five eights. I thought we thought that was the best battle hardening strategy on that. And I can't remember what we did with the leaders, but you know we battle hardened a couple of them. And they get a number of, me- of heavy machine guns. I think they get six of them. They get six medium machine guns. Again, I'm not going to read everything. They get some OBA. They get some minefields. They get a number of anti-tank guns, including uh, three seventy six L. Uh, which are the most powerful anti-tank guns that they have. They got a couple big mortars, some pillboxes. Uh, another key feature that they get is they get 12 fortified building locations, which we used to pretty good effect. And, of course, they can set up in cellars and red barricades, which are a form of fortified location, yeah. which is also kind of nice. Uh, there's some reinforcements, too, that uh, we'll talk about that later when we get deeper into it because there's reinforcements, too. So this is a very big scenario. I mean, 80 squads plus... Just in the setup, you know, not to mention, you know, all the other fortifications you get. And can you remind us what the victory conditions are? Like where, what the setting is and what the victory conditions are? That's a great question, Jeff. Well, it uses the whole map. It was World War II, right? World War II. <laughs> Which yep. kind of, I was reading yeah. the other day, World War II broke the series. There was World War I and World War II, and after that they thought, we're not going to do anymore. They like, stopped. We're not doing any more of those. The uh, Germans win, is the victory conditions here. The Germans win if at the scenario end they control greater than or equal to 12 more multi-hex buildings, two of which must be these two specific factory buildings, then they have lost. So they have to gain 12 more than they lose, and two of them must be these particular factories that are identified. Okay. So do you want to talk about Sounds your, easy. your German order of battle? Sure. Yeah, we had a lot of squads, not as many as the Russians, uh, yeah, but they're pretty powerful. Some nice, uh, we had 14 838s with, with uh, flamethrowers. I think we had five flamethrowers or something, so that, that's, you know, that looks good. You know, you can, I always feel confident with a flamethrower. Um, and some good AT guns, uh, some mortars. We had three mortars, uh, a couple more than the, yeah, one more than, than the... Than the Russians, uh, but we also had uh, looking ahead. We had some tanks come on for reinforcements earlier on, and then uh, some uh, nice pioneer squads, uh, some more eight three eights. And then you had options to purchase. Is that right? No, no that's no. that's in the campaign game. But okay. in this, you get what you get, which is one of the reasons why we picked it again is because we didn't have to make purchasing decisions. Okay, gotcha. So I had never played this before uh, at all. But whenever I'm given that many fortified locations in my head, I automatically get excited because I like to do multi-level fortifications because then you're allowed to set up anti-tank guns in level 1 or level 2, which you're normally not allowed to do. Yeah. Right. But if you can fortify all the way up to level 2, which in this case, since they gave you 12 fortified locations, you can, and that always makes me excited because normally anti-tank guns can't do that. At, you know, they're too, too big to set up that high up. Yeah. And, and some of these guns that the Russians had, the 76Ls in particular, um, I don't even know if they're allowed to set up in a building, period, unless it's fortified. So I got very excited to set those guys up all in level 2 locations, you know, using the fortified building rules. And that gives them, you know, lines of sight that they normally 
Yeah. Would never have. Oh, and, yeah. and Rich used it to great effect. <laughs> yeah, it didn't well, take long for them to reveal themselves. When he says he gets excited, I bet like you probably couldn't sleep many nights just thinking about those multi-level. <laughs> yes, it was something locations. like that. So we do have the map out here for those that have the Red Barricades map. We're not going to, again, go through every single coordinate, but I will point out some of the key places. So there's really two key buildings that the Russians really need to defend very heavily and, you know, stack, you know, the heavy machine guns and the guns as best they can on the upper levels because that defends everything else. There's uh, building AA-25, which is a uh, three-hex multi-story building with a ground level, uh, a cellar two, and a level one and a level two. And then there's BB-18 building, which is a four-hex multi-level stone building that, again, is, you know, level two. So it has actually four levels per hex because of the cellar included and so we fortified the front portions of all of those things and you know had guns and heavy machine guns and our best leaders and i think we had our hidden radio guy he wasn't hidden long but we had him had him in that hex as well so uh those things were bristling with with firepower and so forth and what were your thoughts bill and will when you first saw our setup uh yeah, I mean, we got the cop pictures of the setup, uh, and, you know, of course, they're all concealed. So it's like, oh, scratching your, scratching your finger, eh, what, what could this be? What could that be? Well, I think one of the main things that we noticed about your setup was you had, like, a total of, I want to say, like, three guys in the two main factories that uh, yeah. are part of the victory conditions. So we were pretty surprised at how uh, sparsely defended those two were. Yeah, I don't remember these two front buildings being so important. That no, it's, it's these two on the side. These two are the front right here, uh, Dave. Let's see, it's factory. Yeah. These are the two factories that you have to that the Germans must take. What direction it, was the attack from again? This way. This way. To the east. From the west to the east. This way. We got the we got the map folded in half. It's. We had the whole so, map. So you were like conceding the big building yeah, we, early. We, we, yes. Well, you to had, hang no, on. We at already the end had here? the Germans already had had the big buildings, uh, most of the factories, and most of them were gutted too. By the way. Yeah. Um, but there's two factories that they hadn't captured yet. They were acquired for for the victory conditions. These two. Then why were these two you mentioned earlier the small ones so important? Because well, these are not these are well these aren't factories. Well, important right. to rich. Well, they're yeah, important because they well because like well, because they're the only level two buildings on the map. So they can see great distances, okay. and they can shoot you know long distances and defend the other buildings. They can help all the other buildings by defending, okay, because of heavy machine guns and yes, guns okay. and okay. the best leaders. Yep. So yeah, you know what? Though? Let's talk about that. Yeah, these two factories. So the Russians are fanatic in those factories, and so you're very very tempted to put your six two eight and four five eight Russian squads in there, which effect- effectively gives them nine morale fanatic in the buildings and they're considered fortified you don't even have to use your fortified locations this is by the special scenario rule that, that the fanaticism and the uh the fortification status mm-hmm. is enabled and so you're very tempted to put effectively nine morale russians in fortified locations of the factory and take advantage of those special rules you want to do that very badly and, and i think you also have a lot of hip Two, so well, we uh, were expecting, yeah, but we were expecting a lot of hip in the in the <coughs> two factories, fanatic and right. But we but we had read online, which is a good thing that the internet is for. We read the after action report of another group of people who had played this scenario, and they talked about how they defended the factories a cry crazy, and it did not pay off for them because they got their route paths cut off, and they ended up losing gobs of infantry as the Russian by defending the factories and, and trying to take advantage of those things. But the, but the Germans have so much firepower that 9 morale and plus 4, even though that sounds fantastic, it just ain't enough. Because they could just hit you with 36 shots without any sweat, and they have like a 10 negative 3 liter. Yeah. And so we basically did the exact opposite of what I think the Russian is tempted to do. The Russian's tempted, like I said, to really defend those things like crazy and take advantage of those features. We did the opposite of that. We basically gave them the factories... And we threw a few token units in there to make them, you know, spend a little bit of time hunting them down. But we pretty much, yeah, we gave you the factories. We didn't even try. Yeah, so we, we, when we were planning our OBA, we were planning on that, hitting the factories with the OBA to get in there and then, and then move on. So, so some of our planning, you know, it was a little easier. It was nice, a little easier, but, you know, a little waste of uh, we could have used the OBA elsewhere. 
Yeah, and we also wasted a uh, wasted something too. We had set up. If you look over here uh, again on the map, there's these hexes uh, in row T, like say row from T38 to T45. It's a road, and it's a road that the Germans pretty much cross on turn one is what we expected. And so we had a pre-registered OBA using the barrage rules, which you're allowed to use when you have pre-registration. You don't need an SSR to use barrage, and a barrage is a vertical OBA shape, not the normal, you know, seven circular. hex circular. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's a it's a nine hex, and, and if it's pre-registered, it's accurate on a four or less. And so we were just assuming wrongly, we wasted our stuff too, that you would you know for sure you know enter into these locations on turn one. They were we were going to hit you right away with our pre-registered OBA right in the middle of the street and nail all kinds of German guys is what we were envisioning. They didn't do that at all. They didn't even bother. <laughs> so we had this whole vision of the way they would attack that they didn't attack, and it well, didn't there, pay off. There was also that with uh, the placement of your anti-tank ditch, if I remember correctly. Right. Right, yes. We had a, a we key anti-tank ditch placed somewhere to, to block their tank movement. And was, no tanks went in there? Yeah, it was actually Hex. Was it this one? Was it T-37 right here? Well, yeah. it wasn't so much that, but then you also had set up a uh, an anti-tank gun. Where was that? It was... This is one of the row house buildings oh, facing yeah, yeah, backwards. Right, right. We had it facing yeah. backwards in case he snuck around the yeah. back, yes. Yeah. That also didn't pay off. Yeah. He didn't they didn't attack that way at yeah. all with their tanks. Yeah. So there's some things that you just anticipate the opponent's gonna do and they just don't do it. Yep. No matter how much you plan for it. Yeah. Yeah, my goal is to try and think of something weird that to throw Rich off. That's my <laughs> that's one of my tactics is to try try and come up with something crazy and stupid. And uh Yeah. But they did a very good job. They were very. They did. They took their time. There's 21 game turns, so you don't need to rush. Yeah. And they wow. took their time. They did not rush. They did not give us minus two shots unnecessarily or even necessarily. They almost never did that. They were very careful, very methodical, grinding away. Didn't take chances, and there's no need to take chances. They were very smart in their, uh, you know, slow, the moving, initial, and cautious yeah. approach. And essentially, we pushed our attack on both flanks. Uh, we pretty much down the middle. We were lined up head to head, and we just kind of backed off on that, and we pushed on the flanks, and took over and captured both of the flanks, and just tried to start to roll up, roll up along along the sides. And one thing I learned that I hadn't anticipated. Well, two things I learned. Thing one is they have the Germans have these uh, these anti tank guns in this scenario. Let's see, they have a couple of fifties and a couple seventy five L. And you know we don't we don't even get any tanks really until like I forget like three reinforcements yeah deep yeah. deep in the game so yeah. like I'm like well, what are they going to use those for <laughs> and man did they use those to effect they were shooting you know at 27 hex range and you know maybe it was a plus four but then minus two well, acquisition but well the best part of my son playing with my son is he rolls low <laughs> oh and, and often <laughs> I mean I mean so, they, so he he was a dice roller and he was key. just cranking out some so, uh, rate of fire so were those then hitting these two towers that you were on this side uh yeah yeah we had one we had one in one of our buildings and we actually we captured Rich's gun and then we're we're pounding away on his towers. Uh, with it for a while, but no, we had them. Um, we had them behind here. walls, kind of along the front lines, kind of protecting the flanks a little but, bit. But you know, the Russians don't want to waste their shots firing at that stuff because there's too much infantry to shoot. You at. probably should have. We probably should have. But <laughs> the, these guns, you know, again, if it's, you know, it, it taught me the rules of how these guns with the L are very good at long distance. Long, yeah. So even though it might be twenty something hexes away, with the L, it really makes it a pretty likely to hit especially with rate of fire and acquisition and they were just beating the crap out of us with these little <laughs> dinky 50l and 75l guns we, we'd have a you know he'd get a critical hit on a cellar location boom 628 evaporates on a cellar through yes all this rubble and well debris? like it might be you know on the front line and the cellar was right across the street oh, a few hours okay. away not all the way very close yeah those were close shots yeah okay. but you know you expect a, a cellar guy to oh, yeah, that was survive yeah. yeah yeah that was yeah. this cellar location i think right here yeah but you have to yeah, tell the listeners what, what the hex is they yeah it's uh x9 the uh, building i think it's a chemist shop isn't it i think yes they call that and we had it uh set up i think in u11 uh, just right across the street. Was that it? I think it or was. Or maybe close it to that. was over in the debris and new six, maybe. One of those. One of those long walls. So that was something I learned: the effectiveness of those yeah. L guns. The other thing I learned that we boy did we learn this. I learned it the hard way. 
they were uh, they had they have a couple of OBA modules, and they also have these big mortars. Well, you know, when you hit even fortified stone locations, and you roll low enough, you can rubble those things and start them on fire. And we they did tons of that. They were rubbling and starting on fire more more starting on fire than rubbling. But you know, if you roll low enough, those rules are there, and we really had to learn those rules because it happened a lot. And we were starting to put out fires. The Russians were wasting valuable multi-man counters, <laughs> putting out flames before they came became blazes. Because if you don't, it's going to burn the building down, and you'll have to route out of it. And, and, then, and, and those were the key buildings that that uh, Rich had as uh, the two towers. The two towers, yeah, yeah, the fortified stuff. So we were we were lucky there. One mistake we had is we set up some machine guns and other stuff on the factory rooftops. And uh, easy pickings, yeah. I mean, it was Rich was just the first defensive fire, just took all that out. So, we abandoned rooftops. Uh, we did portage a a mortar down, and one thing that we found effective was putting the mortars in the fortified, gutted factories so the mortars can shoot out. And and we just would pound and pound at Rich, and uh, pretty, pretty free reign. Yeah, and again, we're not going to shoot at a mortar in a fortified location that's, you know, 15 <laughs> hexes away. Yeah. But for him to, you know, he obviously had a double acquired he could, and three rate of fire, mm-hmm. you're going to eventually get either a critical hit or a rubble possibility. And, man, I was sweating bullets because if you create rubble, then you get falling rubble. I mean, everybody's eliminated with that. Well, and uh, what also helped the early game was uh, smoking those buildings. Uh, so I know for early, uh, how many of the early uh, earlier turns did we have them under smoke? I, it took us a little while to, to figure that one out, though, I think. But uh, eventually, yeah, it's like turn three or four, we started smoking them pretty good. Yeah, we were f- f- loaded with smoke for, I don't know, a good half the, half the game. <laughs> so, so yeah, you I mean, know, we, we had uh, nine negative two liters, but you're shooting out a plus three smoke, or plus two smoke, as the case may be, and it really kills your effectiveness of your firepower. But we had no choice. You know, we had to stay there and hope that he runs out of smoke, which they didn't seem to ever do, but <laughs> theoretically... Another fun shot I kept getting rich with this was I had a kill stack in T twenty one, which oh, is in yeah. the corner of a factory. Oh gee! And he had a, uh, units in a building like through the wall. Uh, what's right that? here, right through the gate there. Uh, what's that? Oh uh, right, X nineteen. And I kept there's a gate through the wall yeah. uh, where the road comes through, and I just kept pepper. He just would keep forgetting about. I that. kept forgetting about that hole in the gate. Yeah, <laughs> so I was just pounding away there. It, it, it was just fun. It wasn't too effective, but it was fun. Well, that's uh, Rich started with a uh, Molotov launcher there um, on the yeah. second floor, so that yeah. was the main uh, target that we were shooting yeah. at. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Molotov launcher, and then several other stacks there. Yep. The other the other rule we found uh, that was fun was uh, Rich actually called down some OBA on, on his own guys uh, over an X nine, and uh, we found out they do lose one morale for uh, getting hit by their own OBA. Ah. Right, so if you shoot so. into a melee, your morale is not one lower for being shot at by your own friendly forces. But if you call on an OBA on yourself, your morale is one lower. So in this case, there is a difference between bullets and giant shells raining down. Yeah, <laughs> apparently so. <laughs> yeah, well, I can't remember the reason why, but it seemed like the thing to do at the time. I yeah. think we might have been uh, about to lose that unit anyway, is what, what I recall. And yeah, I think so. He's pretty isolated. I'd cut <laughs> off and, and we moved down. Let's see. What about uh, sewer, use of sewers, Rich? Oh, Did you ever use those with any effect? Oh, Yo, that, that was the game winner, I think. Oh, Pretty really? much a lot of the game winner, yeah. Yeah, I think we caught them off guard. We were very aggressive with sewer movement. So, like I said, they were taking a cautious, slow-moving attack, which is, which is wise, because, again, there's 21 game turns. But that also meant that we got 21 game turns of moving through sewers. Now, sometimes you get a six, and they're lost, and your opponent gets to move them. But with the sewer movement rules, you know, on the first roll, if it's one through five with one die, which is the majority of the time, obviously, you can move it yourself, you know, three hexes away, and you can pop up or not pop out, you know, based on the emergence roll, which is a different roll. But our plan was not to pop out. Our plan was just to keep on moving deeper and deeper and deeper behind enemy lines. Well, I think the uh, the biggest issue with that plan was Bob had a real talent of rolling sixes. So I think there was a time where you had, like, uh, a total of about eight, nine guys in the sewer, and about four or five of them were lost. Yeah, that did happen. But eventually they got unlost. And but couldn't the Germans just follow them? Because you well, would see a, them. That's the problem with the sewer rule. Yeah, right? so, we would, so we did pull people back off the front line and to try and track them and follow them, and we did that. Uh, but, and then uh, 
eventually he did pop out and took some buildings way in the back deep. And uh, so our reinforcements coming in, we had some pioneer units and half tracks came in and they got sucked up cleaning up after these guys who popped out and it just became too much and uh, weighted us down too much. And I think we, I finally resigned in about what game turn probably 15, 16. Yeah. We made it about three quarters of the way through. Yeah. Well, I think it was uh, probably the two main things were the sewer guys, uh, you know, taking up the, uh, all the resources in the back, and then also Rich's reinforcements over on... Right, uh, right, uh, that's what, right. What would you call that? This flank? is the south. Yeah, the south side of the board. Yeah, so... Because so, you had, yeah. like, vast majority of your yeah. reinforcements coming in right yeah. down those two Yeah, rows. he was ready to roll us up where uh, for our, in the row houses there that are part of the victory conditions, and uh, was doing a good job on that. Yeah, and, so if you look here on the south side, you see these buildings uh, like V40 and V43 and uh, U44 and so on. These are all multi-hex stone buildings, which count in the victory conditions. And there's a whole bunch more on the other side of the map there, so there's yeah. probably like eight or nine Yeah, total. I think that's yeah. where I launched my German assault against Dave Timonen. Right, there's, ton, there's tons more over here, too. So the Germans didn't need to attack that this strongly because we didn't defend it that strongly. But, like they're talking about, so by the time, let's see, what, when do our reinforcements come it's in? Like 12 or 13? Well, some of our reinforcements trickle in, but then the big ones come in on turn 10. So on turn 10, we brought all of our reinforcements, which include some flamethrowers and some elite units. And Mm -hmm. squads. We also have these tanks, one of which is a flamethrowing tank. Yep. And we brought all of them in on that flank here on the south and cruised up this road that's on the south side, like from Mm -hmm. Y43 to to, uh, H or II43 approximately. And then we could, then he, you know, then we outnumbered him in this particular local area. Right. Yeah, and he, it's just a matter of time. I mean, he's wearing us down and, and because rolling us th- up. Those are, so every time we captured another stone building, that was just one more that they had to take. And, and Rich Rich had a really good idea early on. He, When he was doing his setup, he marked each of the stone buildings that he owned with just a, a, a sticky tag. And for keeping track during the game, we would just I would just collect. If I took the building, I'd just collect the sticky tag and hold it off. If he took it back, he'd... We put it back on the map of the mm. building he won. So, so the bookkeeping on locations that oh. worked out real well. Yeah, definitely made things far, far simpler. Yeah, yeah I never even thought about so that if, until we uh, started playing, but it worked out. Yeah. We could just look at his pile of stickies to <laughs> yeah. see, like, oh, you got six buildings or whatever. Yeah, yeah oh, did, okay. didn't have to mess yeah. around with yeah. the notepads and, so if, and stuff. So, I, I gave you some pictures we had during the course of the game. Uh, if you see yellow, the yellow, like, there's blue, tags. I believe. Yeah, blue. Mm. Um, that's, those are Rich's uh, location buildings. So what did we learn about close combat? We had a lot of close combat. Yeah. Eh, Not as much as I expected. I expected a lot more. Of course, the Germans can go, uh, or the the Russians can go hand-to-hand when they want. And uh, and, uh, Rich, of course, was coming in concealed and stealthy. The Russians are stealthy, so he was ambushing us a lot. Uh, Yeah, that's a key SSR, uh, the special SSR. It's for all Red Barricade scenarios that uh, good order Russian... uh, Elite and first line infantry are stealthy, which is huge in ambush rolls. Oh yeah, that's huge, and the Germans don't get that. One, one, another uh, fun thing that happened, if you guys recall, one of our guys in one of our upper level buildings that we were talking about, the key buildings here, went berserk. Oh yeah, <laughs> and it was such a bummer because we had this awesome huge minefield that's right. right in front of these buildings that he had to get, and our berserker had to reveal our minefields by charging through <laughs> his own minefields. I, I studied that for hours, trying to find yeah, a reason why yeah. that I could charge this way or that way and still follow the berserk rules yeah. and not have to do that. And I that, tried. That was, that was real early on in the game. Wasn't that like Bob? Bob's nickname is Berserker Bob. And I think yeah. one of his first two or three roles in the game, he went berserk. Yeah. So. Well, I think it was the first roll. Yeah. It was the first morale check roll. He went <laughs> oh berserk. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, berserk wow. Bob. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. But, but revealing our own minefield was just heartbreaking. I mean, you've yeah. got to be kidding me, really? Because yeah. then they knew, they knew then, you know, logically there's yeah. going to be minefields there. We kind of figured you'd be the, that they'd be there, but just, you know, you well, didn't you're know just saying that to make me feel better. Extent. You no, didn't know. No. <laughs> but to tell you the truth, though, eventually towards the end of the game, I had to push through, we had to push through the minefields, and uh, they were not effective at all. I don't think we took one I don't think they took, yeah, they just danced right through them. Yeah. Sixes, twelve. They eights, were no. They eights. were big. They were eights and twelves. No, well, no, they were big. They were the big yeah. boys. Yeah. In and out. Wow. Yeah, yeah. His ten that negative three will dance through him singing a song. Yep. He was he was whistling. Were you uh, able to use your flamethrowers to effect? Uh, a couple spots, not really, not really. I mean, it's always fun. 
think like uh, we had. Heroes. I think at one time we had a, a heroic uh, a hero. I think he went fanatic too, wasn't it? No, fanatic hero. No, that'd be. A, we did have a fanatic hero. I don't know if that's no the fanatic one. leader. We had a fanatic leader. Uh, but yeah, uh, but uh, they were some some use mostly when we were in the in the front when they were head to head. Uh, well, we tried to stay away from the flamethrowers. Yeah. yeah, we would occasionally give them a shot if he was two hexes away and we yeah. were concealed, or maybe well, through you, a hindrance. you were hitting them with the machine guns in the tower pretty heavily. Right, and we tried to hit the machine yeah. guns so that they wouldn't be you know able to be shot yeah. at us. So yeah. we, we, it's not surprising yeah. that they didn't have a ton of flamethrower shots because we ran from uh, them. Another killer for us was uh, in this game. You have two sniper counters on the on the board. Oh, oh yeah, oh, yeah. And the, and the Russian sand was five. Ugh. That's all we rolled was a five, oh, I think, yeah. most of the time. So we were, and then that's when Bob would roll, get the snipers. So yeah. the sniper was devastating. Yeah, no doubt. The sniper was our most effective unit for sure. And yeah. that really helped our sewer units because yeah. the snipers always seemed to nail the guy at the right time <laughs> where the sewer units were right about to come out and do some damage. And then they could come out, you know, unscathed with no one there to hurt them. And we really were good for, we had good fortune with the snipers, no doubt about it. Mm hmm. But it was a great scenario. It did fulfill our objectives, I think, of learning the tactics and the terrain and the RB rules themselves. And so now we've just recently, for the past month or so, embarked on uh, campaign game number two from Red Barricades. Which the layout, the initial layout, is almost exactly the same uh, where the front lines are. So we're stepping into the same, we're playing the same game over again, but it's a little different. You got to uh, turn 16, and then you. I can see, we conceded. Yeah. At what point did you think? What turn did you think we're gonna we're not gonna win this? Uh, it was getting. I mean, it was uh, into that. I mean, my big. I was kind of waiting out for the hopefuls of my uh, of our reinforcements, uh, the pioneer squads, and they came in in half tracks. Uh, let's see, that's turn uh, ten. Um, so they came in. I was kind of waiting for that. I was hoping they could roll in and give us new momentum on the on the flanks, but they got tied up. Getting like f- you only had maybe like five or six squads. Not even I that. Maybe it was remember. like four or five squads in the back. Um, I had a couple half tracks get bogged in hedges for you know, forever uh, and ever. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, one thing uh, we learned is it's very difficult for half tracks. Oh, it's, yeah, it's or difficult, tanks. It's or, difficult for fully track too, but yeah. there's so much rubble and debris that it's just really hard to get through. Yeah. And so we both learned that lesson. So, like, one of the things now in the campaign game, and Bob and I are the Germans this time, we switch sides, we haven't even bothered buying any tanks because... What's they're the, going to get stuck. What's the point? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, they, they're obviously tanks do good things if you can get them where they need to be. Right. But this map is so big and so clogged. And I think in real life, Stalingrad was, yeah. right. you know, clogged up that way from the yeah. rubble. It's very hard to get your tanks through quickly. You can't get them through quickly. I think it's almost impossible. Yeah. And uh, if you're going to take bog checks, then you're taking chances. And that's a chance you probably don't want to take because then you're bogged and who knows what's going to happen. So... That was a key learning, and the half tracks are just that much worse because they can't even go over walls or anything like that. Yep. So it did take a lot longer. Normally, if you got you know eight three eights and half tracks, they can just book right to the front lines as fast as they want to, but not not here. But we were let's see, we averaged probably starting out maybe one one and a half turns per session, and then then maybe we got up to two two and a half. Mm. Right, and that was about so what we, four hours or so, yeah, or yeah, yeah. four to six hours, yeah. Yeah, so six we played from like that's looking on the dates of our pictures. Uh, you know, we uh, like eleven April's when we did the setup, and then we finished up. I got pictures on eleven June, so several months worth of gameplay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, if you had to play exactly the same scenario again, same sides, what would you do different? <clears throat> you wouldn't set up on the roof. Wouldn't set up on the roof. Yeah, <laughs> neither yeah. would I. And I yeah. think uh, shore up the flanks a bit more, especially down there. Yeah, on the maybe, south maybe, end, or, or maybe because of focus because of his. Yeah, because like you know, up on the north side here, there's uh, the lake, so he river. it's a bit more of a river. trek if or well, there's water, water. water. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you know, there's a bit more of a trek if he uh, wants to get his guys up and into the fray. Yeah, uh, but on the south side, it's pretty much just a straight shot down the road. He's got great cover while he's getting down the road, so it's really easy for him to get a ton of reinforcements over there. Yeah. How about it, Rich? What would you do different? I'm not sure. I I think we had a decent setup. I can't think of anything major. I wouldn't want to play against uh, Will's dice anymore. <laughs> Those are tough to beat. But would you put your bunker? He he had a special spot for his bunker, one of the bunkers. 
Yeah, the pill box. Yeah, I thought that was a great spot. Well, what about the other one that didn't show up? Well, that never got into the game. (laughs) Uh, Tell them where you have it. Yeah, let's see. I can't remember. Was it? It was uh, in shell holes, wasn't it? Looking right down the. Was it? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was right there. It was was hex V thirty nine. If you have your uh, your red barricades map, V thirty nine, and it has line of sight all the way down. I think we calculated to S thirty eight in the gully. And so I think he did actually move up through the gully here, thinking that that yeah. was a, uh, you know, a safe, safe spot. And I yeah. think we did hit him with a with a yeah. good minor well, shot. Yeah, just there. because as it turns out, even if the line of sight intersects the black uh, cliffside, cliffside that still counts as line of sight. Yes, we, and we looked up that rule beforehand ah. to be, be sure about that. So, but, so, so the line of sight actually does see down into there. But we were able to flank that bunker and, and took him out pretty quick. Yeah, it didn't. It yeah. didn't. It wasn't like a big, big part yeah. of the game, but it was a, it was a debatable part of the game because of the line of sight. Yeah, there were many debatable parts of the game. <laughs> Seems to me it'd be interesting to play exactly the same thing in exactly the same way and just see how the different di- dice roll, yeah, would determine a different outcome. It definitely could. Definitely <laughs> yeah. could make a difference. No doubt. Well, you wouldn't want to do that on this game, right? Yeah. Well, another two, three months worth of effort. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You <laughs> want to do that on these smaller. Yeah. Yeah. For medium-sized sure. scenarios. Sure, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Now, it, if you had uh, reserved, a, could you have reserved an OBA or something to take care of Rich as he came on with reinforcements uh, there toward the end? Certainly we could have. Yeah, I mean, we had a pre-registered hex, and then we had a, we chose a radio. Uh, the Germans had a little better connectivity with that, and we figured it would be a little more mobile, which might, which might help us. Uh, so, yeah, possibly could have saved that. And also, uh, our, our pioneers coming on uh, have a, a module of, of mortar. OBA mortar too, so that would have been the place to to take it, but we just yeah. got tied up elsewhere. Yeah, with the, with the sewer guys. So. Oh, and also this is such a huge map that it's like you know, okay, you want to get this guy over to this specific location. Oh, he'll, yeah. he'll be there in four turns. Yeah, yeah, it's like four or five <laughs> turns. Yeah. It, it would have taken. Yeah, which Five is turns. three three yeah. weeks, yeah. three yeah. play sessions. One, one thing that we yeah. did learn, and now we're playing, like I said, the teams in reverse. So they they're doing some sewer movement in the campaign game we're playing now because they're the Russians yeah, we in that flipped, one. Yeah, we tra- tra- traded sides for the next game. Yeah, and so I, it, it is very hard to defend against the sewer guys. But one thing I learned was, but it's a pain in the neck. You have to cover all the sewer locations that they can possibly move to. Which is hard. I mean, that could be three or four different places. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to waste your German units, which I guess we sort of are because we hate the sewer guys, so we're wasting a lot of German units going to all the possible places that they might emerge and hoping that they get lost or hoping that they get a bad emergence roll that allows us to shoot at them, which is, you know, not a, not a foregone yeah. conclusion. But we're wasting units covering all the sewer holes, waiting for him to possibly pop up. Yeah. And my philosophy when we were defending that was just keep them close within a line of sight of where they could emerge so when they pop up, finally, we'll hit them then. I I think I remember me as a German going into the sewers and then Dave just following me and just staying right with the guy. Well, well, that's in, a four uh, task check to get into the You have to pass a four task check for the Germans to use the sewers. Then maybe he, did he go in? The Russians could go in anytime they want. I yeah. thought I went in. But either way, I, I do remember it was the guy just followed him. So it was just one squad with one squad. Yeah. And it just seemed wasteful to me. But it sounds like it worked for you. We should mention, I'm not sure where you downloaded that sewer map. Yeah. yeah it's from the Texas, I think. Texas. Um, Someone website. took the time to trace all the different sewer locations with a... Oh. Uh, with a, sh- a shrunken miniature version of this map, the whole map, oh. with all the sewer connections cool. throughout the whole city. Yeah. <laughs> and it, and wow. it, it was uh, quite helpful. It wasn't perfect. There were some mistakes in it, but oh. it still helped a lot. And I didn't do it. I, but <laughs> but, I, but it, it was helpful. It kind of shows you where you can go and where you can't yeah. go. Sounds good. Sounds like it was fun a lot time. of fun. Yep. Well, ASL is always fun. And nobody was harmed in real life. Mm. No? Not that I know of. Well, there's nothing else to talk about, is there? There's plenty to talk about, Jeff. Oh, okay. I thought you said this podcast <laughs> yeah. was dedicated to the most exciting or interesting game in the world. Yes, what I and, heard you and say. complex and uh, big topics. So, yeah, part so two what of else? the show, Yeah, not really a roundtable discussion, but... Chit Chat. We'll call it ASL Chit Chat. ASL Chit Chat. Here we go. That's a yeah. great name. Yeah. Or What's in the Box, because look what Bill brought. Yeah, Stuff. Well, we'll, bring, we'll uh, bring that up first, but Rich, you have a topic you want to... Yeah, I had a few things that I'm working on I just want to share just for fun. So yeah. one thing I'm working on is 
uh, I'm writing a ASL crossfire, and, and the old timers will recall the ASL mm-hmm. crossfires. I never wrote any, but it was always usually Rob Banizek and one of one of the premier players of the day back in the day. And so Rob twisted my arm, and I recently agreed to write an ASL crossfire with him. And if you remember those from the general and from the ASL annuals, which Will doesn't remember because he wasn't <laughs> born yet, but back in the day we had those, and they were kind of like they didn't actually play the scenario. But they would like analyze it from the different sides and write up their write-ups before their opponent got to see what they said. And then they would have the opening move. And so this is what you see on turn one. This is what you see after. And they would write it, you know, kind of blind without the other person seeing their points. And their. But then they would actually argue with one another based now on what they've now seen. So it's like done in segments. Hmm. So uh, the old squad leader players will remember, you know, those being in those publications. I have to look so, those up because those. Yeah. I think you can get a lot of those magazines. Still. Oh yeah, and I remember one. I think where the, the argument about do you how much do you deploy because you're losing some factors, but mm-hmm. not as being in a cross. Well, that's what makes it fun is the arguing. Yeah. So, yeah. like, if somebody says, "I think this scenario is sixty percent German," and the other guy says, "You're full of crap," it's sixty percent Russian or whatever the case may be. That's where the fun begins in the crossfire. Yeah. So we actually have one of those scenarios that we're. Uh, where I think it's very pro one side. He thinks it's very pro the other, and I can't wait to yeah. uh, prove him wrong. Who's writing the other side? You're, Rob, Rob Banizek. Oh, Rob okay. Banizek. And he did do a lot of them earlier. Yeah. Okay. Now oh, he's a, he's a way great. better writer than me. He's one of the best squad leader writers or just writers period that I've ever seen. My writing skills are nowhere near up to up to task, but I'll do my best. So that's one thing I'm working on. And where where will we see that once that's done? That'll be in the Bonsai magazine coming up at the end of the year. And also for Bonsai, I'm working on. Um, the next, uh, they have what's called the featured scenario, and I'm working on the next featured scenario along with uh, Rick Reinseth, who's the, the director of yeah, that tournament. Yeah, we've interviewed him. I don't want to give away too much on that yet. I want to kind of okay. keep that a secret, but I'll just say that I'm working on that in the back in the back room, and it'll be cool. It'll be awesome, and encourage all of you to come to the Texas Open next year. But we'll I'll cover that in more detail when the time is right. Yeah. Another thing I'm working on with Paul Sidhu, and Paul Sidhu is a famous player out in New Jersey. And he uh, wrote last in last year's, or maybe it was two years ago, the annual, or the journal, I should say. He wrote like questions, ASL rules questions that I always forget. I think that was oh, the yeah. title of the article. Yeah. <laughs> yep, that was really one. very good and quite entertaining. And it inspired me. And I saw Paul at the Texas tournament, and I said, "Hey, that was a great article you wrote. It was it was awesome." And so we agreed to collaborate and do the next version of that for the annual or for the journal, I should say, uh, as a team. So we've already been exchanging ideas back and forth of the rules that we want to highlight, of things we always forget, and things, and some of them are things that the Forgs across the table taught me that I didn't know before, especially, oh, like, especially uh, the rubble stuff and the fire stuff. Or how uh, about uh, vehicles exiting the board? Yes, vehicles exiting points. the board, that's another one, yep. <laughs> so anyway, we have a list of about a dozen rules Is we're going to highlight. Called? No. No, if you intentionally drive them off the board, they count as victory points for the opposing player. Yeah, yeah. If you intentionally drive them off, right. Yeah. But anyway, so we're, we're well, making a you, list. If you'd like a list of rules that I always forget, let me know. Okay. Uh, I, just, I think it's in the book, <laughs> book behind you. It's yeah. in the book. It <laughs> starts at page one That's and right. goes to... Yeah. Well, we're going to have some cool things in there that I think all squad leader players will enjoy. You yeah, know, it sounds it, great. It'll be half serious and half humorous. And so we're looking forward and to that. And you think that'll be published... That will be probably in the next journal, is I what the goal is. Oh, great. Again, it's not up to me. Uh, it's up to yeah. the publishers of all that. But we've already begun working on it. We're already about, I don't know what percentage we're done, but we're, we've begun. Wonderful. We're on our way. Yeah, great. And so the other thing that I'm working on, you guys know I love the rules tables, the oh, rules yes. charts that I've been working on. And a couple of them. We, sell those, of, for, we sell those for $100 a piece. Oh, well, then I'd like my donation back then if oh. that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I've been working on three new rules tables, one of which was inspired by one of the half-squad programs. Oh, really? So we'll just keep I'll, the bell I'll, going. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get to that up. in a second. So one of them that I'm working on that was not inspired by the half-squad program was, um, I don't know, I just figured it was time that I do this. I should Again, whatever order I go in is just based on my own whims, I guess. But it's just a basic movement factor, movement point chart. You know, like when you're moving uphill, into smoke, into a trench. Right. You know, I can never remember which things you double and which things you don't double. Or you're going over a wall and, you know. And your CX. And, yeah, whatever, and all that. Yeah. So just a basic movement factor chart and movement point chart. And, of course, in the advanced phase, you don't pay smoke penalties. I don't know how many times I've advanced 
and added the smoke penalty and caused and caused myself to be CX, oh, CX. because of the yeah. smoke. But smoke doesn't count for movement in the advance phase. The rules clearly say that. Yeah. I just must have not seen it for 20 years. But it clearly says that. So smoke doesn't count. But it does count, of course, in the movement phase. So anyway, that's the kind of thing. I'm just going to make a basic chart. I'm going into a gully, into the woods. There's also some weird stuff like you can't bypass the woods if there's also a gully there. Oh, right. You know, little things like yeah. that. Will so, you have portage points included with that? There already is a table that has portage points yeah. and how far you can move, so I'm yeah. not going to have that. Okay. But at least it'll tell you how many points it takes to do certain things. I'm, obviously, I can't cover every single situation. Right. It'd be, you know, 50 sheets long. But I'm going to cover some of the basic stuff that you see, that you do, that you run into. So that's one table I'm working on. Can I, um, Go ahead. Can I play um, Mike Stubitz uh, a couple weeks ago before you guys went? to the tourney, St. Louis. St. Louis, yes. And uh, he was really good at turning his vehicles in the hex, not in the movement phase. And believe it or not, after my... Turning as if to fire, like yeah, uh, during... Uh, yeah, when you can... Which he lo- has been learning, I think, from you, Rich, probably. But after all my playing of all these thousands of games, I have not... It's a thing I haven't done for... Like, I don't do that. I just think they can only turn in the movement phase. So I was playing Tom, and it's suddenly I'm like, wait a minute, Spilky's been turning these. I know everyone turns these things at different times to be ready for a tank coming. For and so I we read that whole long rule with Tom and I together. We're like, let's look at this together because I have got to learn this, do this. I can't believe I don't do this. It's a very basic thing. You read that whole long rule about turret-covered arc changes, I think, and then you get to the very, very end, and it's like, it's like one sentence at the end. And a tank may turn when it's free to fire and hasn't fired. Or, And I'm like, look at that. One, one little sentence. And I think when I, all the years I've been reading the rules, I kind of get about kinda three. Kind of peter out. You think it's all the unimportant stuff at <laughs> yeah, the end. All exactly the right. details that don't really matter. You get three quarters of the way through this thing with all the parentheses and parentheses yeah. and parentheses. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, oh, so, that's cool. That's good. So I'm working on two more tables, uh, one of which, again, was inspired by your program a couple weeks ago, but I'll cover that one last. So the next one I'm working on, I've seen this happen so many times, and I know you guys have too, and it happened at the tournament. It didn't happen to me, but it happened to uh, an opponent, or not my opponent, but another game, a game nearby, and they were arguing about whether a gun could turn its turret-covered arc in a building and intensive fire and blah, 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 blah. I can't remember what the details were. But I know in my you mind... I know, I know in my mind that there are situations, and this is, again, I haven't written this table yet, but if it's a non-turreted gun, or if it's a turreted gun, or if it's a vehicular turreted or vehicular non-turreted, these are all different cases, different situations, and if it's in a building or woods or bamboo or something or jungle, or if it's not, or if it's already first fired, or if it hasn't, or if it keeps rate of fire, or it hasn't, or it's already turned, and whatever. All those different situations. You did turn, you didn't turn, you want to turn, you got ready to fire, you didn't get ready to fire. It's going to be all these different situations, and now what can you do, if anything? Can you still turn? Can you still shoot? Or no? Yeah. And it's just in my head. I don't have it all mapped out yet, but you can see it with me here as I describe it. It just seems like that comes up all the time. Yeah, it definitely does. So that's, very so that's one chart I'm working on. And then the one that you guys inspired, and you didn't even know you inspired me until I'm going to tell you now. <laughs> yeah. You did a show, I don't know, a couple podcasts ago. Yeah, just, it, it was on clear, clearance. Yeah. yeah. Clearing mines, clearing uh, roadblocks, clearing stuff. Wire. Wire. Did, did we ask flame this suppression. Have a chart for this? I don't know if you did or not. We Maybe did you did. another for another thing, too. Oh, but you were driving me crazy, and I wanted to s- pull the speakers out of my thing because you weren't doing it right so like (laughs) (laughs) that's because we don't have enough patreon supporters yet and once we get to 200 patreon supporters we'll start doing things correctly so one one thing that was uh, driving me nuts is that roadblocks for example and i believe wire also that was jeff's part of the rules (laughs) <laughs> the, the, there we go. That's, that's Jeff's rules. So for roadblocks and those wire, are my house rules. You, you can clear those not just in your turn. You can clear them in your opponent's 
turn. And you were getting, you were reading the rules, and you, I think in you guys were confused. Confu no, well, like in the defensive fire phase, when it's my defensive fire phase, you know, it's your turn. Yeah. So it's my defensive fire phase. I can declare TI for roadblocks and wire, for example. And in the close combat fire phase, Get out. try it's, to remove it. No, you can't. But, but, but correct. But in but in my turn, it's like an action. In my turn, I have to. I can also do it during my turn. But but like for minefields, you can only do it in your turn. In yeah, minefields, right. this game is too complicated. <laughs> See now, so something take that back. No, then. you're right. You're right, Jeff. I'm not quite that. <laughs> Yeah. So some things you can do in your opponent's turn, or your 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 part of your the opponent's turn. I'm not sure how to phrase that. And other things you can only do when How it truly is your that? turn. How did we miss that? I don't know. I didn't read that. You did read it, but you just didn't explain it right. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> oh. But you, you, you were wondering why it was worded that that's way. That's part of the charm of our this, program. This is when I, <laughs> <laughs> that's, right. that's why I was trying to pull the speakers out of my uh, dashboard there. because Remember, listeners, you're supposed to post a comment on every episode. No, we don't. No, we get, we get way too many comments. But you You're just supposed to correct us in your head and think, wow, I'm smarter than those Anyway, guys. I love you guys to death, and uh, uh, you inspired me to make the chart. Which oh, that's going to be a very useful chart. Which I'm in the middle Especially of. Especially uh, with that rule you're making up there. There you go. Especially <laughs> with that. But let me turn it back over to uh, Bill here, because he's got some pretty cool yeah. stuff to show. Well, yeah, Bill, what'd you bring? Well, I'm, I'm kind of picked up a 3D printer about a year ago, a little over a year ago. So I've been trying to apply it to ASL. So I've made some doodads. Uh, for use to help uh, help out uh, a couple items a uh, little tray uh, with about four five six compartments to store uh, the prep fire and your you know uh, defensive fire counters during the game kind of you know normally have a little piles uh, so kind of trying to neaten up the game this um, is uh, Bill Forg's uh, counter canoe yeah, there you go. Because it looks a little like a canoe. <laughs> yep, yep. And it seats five yep. sets of Well, counters. you can. <laughs> it, it, it's real easy. There's there's sites on the web where Thingiverse is where I get most of the, a lot of designs. Uh, you just plug it in and say how many compartments you want, how big you want them. Wow. And it spits out the design, and you just print it up. So. Is this why you bought the 3D printer, or did you buy it for some? Uh, no, just because I wanted just you know, to play, play with, with tech. Yeah, yeah, oh, okay. yeah. yeah it's, wow. it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, let me just add, Bill, real quick. I brought about four or five of these down to Austin for the Texas Open, intending to sell them for I think was it three bucks each? Yeah, two bucks, two, two or three, two or three. I don't recall. Anyway, they were gone in like seconds. I mean, I couldn't. <laughs> I had people coming up to me. I want. They wanted. I mean, they were already gone, and they were wanting to give me more money for more of them. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. People were just, they were flying, flying off the shelves. And it takes me about two hours to print one of those. And wow. Well, yeah. Jeff, you used to have those trays, teakwood trays, remember? Yeah, I used lots. Oh, bowls. They were bowls. Well, was there, there was no tray? No, I never had a tray. I have these well, teakwood bowls. But the beauty of these tray. is yeah. it's better than coconuts. Yeah. <laughs> That's what for I was the small ponies, when I yeah. saw the yeah. darker plastic yeah. one. Well, the yeah. Texas guys love these to death. I, I, they were gone in minutes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, another another item I got from Thingiverse was some tweezers. Uh, so I, I played around with the design to uh, try and make them uh, fit a half-inch uh, counter so you can go down over the top and grab them uh, so it's not angled. Those um, are, I really like that. So. Well, yeah, I definitely like them a lot more than normal tweezers because they have a good deal more surface area to actually grab the yeah. sides of the counter with right so you don't have the counters like slipping around and and i tried around. to they're, they're angled and come to a point and i was playing around with the design to try and make them flat so when i squeezed them it would be a half inch straight column uh that you could grab them all and hold a stack all together but uh, it didn't work out so one thing about with the 3d printer is you you print something and figure and say ah oh, this isn't working or this didn't come out right or it didn't print right uh, so you just tweak it a little more, and you kind of work into your final product that you want. So I would like to see these with on the on the opposite end. If there was a counter clipper, oh, okay, you stick a counter and you <laughs> squeeze it. Yeah, yeah. Well, click the counters. Yeah, yeah. You, you can, can you, you can, can use that on. idea. Okay, yeah. free. Oh, these are nice. Yeah, but well, I'm not sure about your 3D scenario cards. I mean, what's the point? Just making the letters stand up like that, and the stacks it won't even fit in a plastic binder anymore. I think give that one up. Okay. Yeah. Well, but stick with these other items. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Dave. I'll take that into consideration. 
You got to talk about those storage. I'd like trees. to see three yeah. D smoke so, counters. Oh, I think I a three D smoke counter would be great. Uh, yeah, man. <laughs> like I'll work like on a it. Cube, huh? Like a cube? Yeah, just like well, a, just have like just a, so some you know, puffs you get, of smoke. You get an idea of the yeah. height and yeah, uh, yeah, know, we could just see. Yeah. Don't forget that'd be that'd be neat. Uh, my longer term project is uh, I wanted to come up with a different way to store counters, uh, kind of go away from planos and go into like matchbook style, if you want to call it that. So this is probably what uh, version three, four by oh, now. Oh, this is like I've revert, I've revised this a, lo- a lot, but essentially I have little uh, boxes uh, that you pull apart, and then I've made them so that they hold 10, 10 20, 5, 10, 15, 20, 40, up to forty counters. Uh, and my latest innovation is to put place a couple magnets on the side to hold the covers down. Um, and keep them secure, this is really cool, secure Dave. in there. Um, Show them the one with the Japanese units in it. It's yeah, cool. so yeah, so I have just one with the units, and these are I've been working on the Japanese OBA, so I'm using a yellow plastic to kind of simulate that. So it holds ah, uh, twenty counters. Yes, I saw. And I think I'm going to go with. I think that design is settling down, and I found a. That's a actually bu- that's very nice. A bunch of magnets from uh, from uh, Alibaba and uh, from. Uh, um, from China, so they got dirt cheap. Uh, I'm getting a bunch of uh, smaller magnets, so I'm going to shrink the magnet size a little bit in my next round. Um, but that, that's worked. Uh, I made uh, a tray and like a little holder for them uh, to stack the little matchboxes in, so I kind of sized that to, to uh, accommodate the, uh, the matchboxes. And for the Japanese OBA, I'm going to have, it takes three and a half of those little trays to, to cover that. So it kind of will shrink down. Um, for the a, uh, AFD looks like counters. A, looks like a good. great space saver compared to the Well, Plano that's what I'm boxes. hoping for. Yeah. But we'll see. It might The pain factor might be too much. So. For those people that are <laughs> downsizing their, yeah. their homes. The what factor? The, the pain factor of getting the counters out and putting them back in when you're, when you're after you played the game. I haven't oh, really fully play tested that. Throw them back can't in throw the them in a bucket. You got to stack can, them. But I can count out. Right, how many you need? Like, okay, yeah, I that's need six, which is right, six, right. Six almost, almost. Yeah. So, and I think I'll have a little tool that you could slide in. Well, one one design I put holes in the bottom so you could stick a pencil up through and push them up. But I think I'll yeah. design a little tool that you could slide in and, and grab the number you need. Yeah, I'll play around with that. Uh, for AFV counters, most of those are for the half inch counters. For the AFV counters, I went, cool. uh, I went to the Texas tournament, and uh, on their website, they had uh, used the the coin envelopes, and uh, somebody put a lot of work uh, coming up with the stickers for the coin envelopes. Um, so I went to that route, and I essentially built a, tr- a little tray to uh, to hold those with a little holder and it's actually double the size of my half trays so when you stack them up they'll stack nice and evenly and in one of the in the tr- one tray that Jeff took a picture of uh, we have the, the full AFE and ordinance for the Japanese is all in so here. he's fitting so, it all into that one little box do you want for that uh, <laughs> I don't know but I'm not. Right I'm now, not. I'm not selling this. No. Money yeah. is no object. <laughs> no. So, but yeah, you I'm envision not... doing uh, different colors for the different. Yeah, yeah. You can get browns. Right? I got blues, yeah. Okay. greens. Yeah, different things. I was thinking. I, I was just thinking the other day. Uh, you know, for the Hungarians or something, maybe I'll make the base one color and the cover the other yeah. color. Oh, yeah. right. That's cool. So something or try and match that. But then, then my goal is to. Uh, I like to do woodworking too, so I'll make some custom trays to stack these on end. Um, so I'm envisioning maybe a you know 14 by 11 tray uh, made out of wood that will hold these, and I can stack them all together and and, and uh, compress the size. So. Move away from the uh, giant rolling hand carts. And- that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. So. Wouldn't it be great to go to a tournament and not not feel yeah, like you need a steamer trunk? To so bring thinking, all you know one to- one totem box or something. Yeah. So. There was right. a guy at the St. Louis tournament that had this. <laughs> I'm not gonna. Guy? I'm gonna say he's not gonna say his name because it's not right. But he had this huge. You know, box of stuff, which is not bad. We all have big boxes of stuff, I guess. But he had an alarm no. set and a like a punch code, secret code. Wow! And he kept the alarm just kept going off. I don't know why <laughs> he was not opening it right, or someone else. I don't know what was going on, but it was so annoying to be in a room with all these squad leader players. 
Yeah. You know, and, and we're concentrating on our game and whatever. I know. And, and this guy's alarm keeps going off. Yeah, another guy there told me he was moving a whole stack of dudes, and that alarm went off, and he, they threw them all in the air accidentally. Oh, jeez. The whole board was knocked over, and they had to call the game. So. <laughs> well, it's really bad. I think that's unnecessary, but whatever. Well, when wow. it's perfected, though, that could be good. I yeah. guess. Yeah, you got to think who who really is going to steal your squad leader no. stuff. I just don't see it. We're all honest. Mostly. Yeah. I've taken a few items from other people's kits. Okay, so Dave is. Uh, I'm watching you, Dave. Welcome I'm watching you, Dave. I'm Welcome this to Japanese <laughs> <box> <laughs> containers. Welcome to ASL Confession. Good for the soul. Awesome. Really interesting stuff. But you are planning on like. Uh, Selling this somewhere? Uh, absolutely not. Oh, you're not. Oh, okay. Well, everybody's what, getting what their hopes up. Oh no, no. This is just for okay, me. It's too mind. much of a pain in the neck. I mean, uh, for the big trade to print out, it's probably. F- I think I cut it down to four hours. Oh, uh, f- okay. For both yeah. those, it'd be hard um, to make it. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, you know, the, I print out a whole bunch of those, uh, uh, the, the little boxes and stuff. It takes four or five hours to print like ten. Oh, okay. Or, or well, what else are you going to so. do between 2 and 6 in the morning? Well, I do. I do kick it off and let it go all night. But, you know, also, you know, 3D printers are not hobby friendly. I mean, you take a lot of care and feeding and you get a lot of yeah, misprints okay. and oh. a lot of junk come out. So you have to keep keep it a little eye on it and you got to tweak it. It's like a boat. You know, you're always dumping more money into it to get the, you know, the optimum uh, thing. But, uh, but it's a lot of fun. That's kind of my hobby. Thanks for teasing us. Uh, well, yeah, really. <laughs> but as the technology advances, well, that's a good point. You may be able to do this much more efficiently. Yeah. So I would patent uh, it now. And maybe you fly to Taiwan and find some manufacturer that can churn these things out. Uh, nah, I'm not that. I'm not that much of an entrepreneur. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's cool anyway. We'll all, we will all sit here and admire your well. The, the, well, your, you know, the envy factor is yeah. another reason. Yeah. Motivation. Yeah. Very good motivation. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, it's very impressive, Bill. Well, I think that uh, wraps it up for this episode. Sure. Yeah. Maybe you guys can come back uh, next time. Sure. Weeks? Yeah, yeah, we'll be in town. Yeah. yeah two weeks. And, and since I am uh, patronizing you, uh, you are patron. Yeah. Thank you for putting me up in the hotel and, and taking care of the expenses <laughs> yeah. for the week. I All really of our guests stay that. at the Hyatt O'Hare, and uh, we thank the Hyatt for donating the the top part of the. The hotel. And that champagne guests. greeting basket was just really good. Yep. It's all in there. <laughs> and the M&Ms, each color in a different bowl. Yeah, just but all, all the green re- ones were missing. Well, that's what you requested, my <laughs> oh, daughter. Did we get that wrong? Yeah, no, I said red. No, oh, okay. No, I've been right. on the show well, several times, and I never got it. <laughs> well, that's because <laughs> I never got the M&M tray oh, sorry. Or, or whatever. Sorry, Rich. Oops. What's going on, man? Well, I think we better end the show right there. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll see you next time on another exciting episode. But... Until then, remember to roll low and rally well, but but not not when when you're playing playing us. Bye, everybody. Like the camping. We thought you liked the tent in the backyard.